Wednesday night, August 24th, 2022, and we are studying the book of James, and um, last week talked a whole lot about uh, going into the promised land, and we talked about Joshua and walking around the walls of Jericho. We talked about the city of Ai. Um, again, a lot of this stuff I, I'm just remembering, so I, it, some things could be a Sunday that I talked about it. Um, but anyway, between last Wednesday and this past Sunday, I came over here to mow the church property, and I was listening to Adrian Rogers, and he was, I can't remember exactly what the title of the message was, but he got in on the story of Gideon. He was talking about the whole, he was just talking about the whole story of Gideon. So I had Gideon fresh on my mind when I was preaching on Sunday, and I just said Gideon and started talking about the walls of Jericho, and Joy's sitting up there going, um, <laughs> and, and, and I, I told everybody a while back, listen carefully, and if I get, if I, it's so easy to say a wrong name, say a wrong place, uh, you can trick people into saying a word by um, talking about other words. There was a joke back when I was in elementary school, um, you know, having, one, just to prove how easy it is to get somebody to say something that they really don't mean. And it was uh, get them to spell a word like uh, fort. You know, you want to build it, you want to go build a fort. But you would get them to spell fort, and they would go F O R T. Spell that again F O R T. What do you eat your cereal with? A fork. You do? I use a spoon. <clears throat> so you can manipulate people into saying something that they really don't want to say. You can also ask questions in a way where there's really no good answer. So, uh, so when you, <laughs> that's just, that's, that's what happened to me. I was listening to, it's Adrian Rogers' fault. He was just talking about Gideon on and on and on. And so I get in here and I have Gideon on the brain and, you know, it's embarrassing because I know those stories so well. And to get them mixed up like that, uh, it is very embarrassing. So, um, we, we might talk a little bit about Gideon today. But first, I want to show you, a while back I said something about how the Bible is actually written to where it, it is confusing. It can, it can be very confusing to people on purpose. And I just want to give you some verses to back that up because I got some, some, uh, some looks, you know, when I said that. And, uh, and you might, might want to write these down. And this is just some places in the Bible that you can turn to look at. <clears throat> uh, the first one is 1 Corinthians, the first one that's on my list. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, 
says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. The next verse is very telling. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So they needed to be confused and not understand. Certain people needed to not see so that Jesus would go to the cross. All right, here's uh, uh, John 16, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 25, says, These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. And then go down to 29, it says, His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speaketh thou plainly, and speaketh no proverb. So he spoke a certain way, but then told him, Don't worry about it. I know this is going to be hard to understand, but I'm going to, I'll speak to you plainly a little bit later. So you will understand it. And then Matthew 13. This should be pretty familiar. Um, we went through most all of the, the mystery parables uh, several months ago. And Matthew 13, uh, 11 says, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they, they see, seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And 15 talks about, uh, 15 is a long verse talking about how uh, their, their ears were dull of hearing, uh, they, they, uh, sh they can't understand. And then 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So hopefully, you sitting here tonight, you aren't dull of hearing, you uh, are, are seeing things. You're, you're blessed because you can see and hear. And you can back up to Matthew 11, 25. And it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. So I wrote that down a, a while back, and uh, I came across it in my notebook, and I wanted to uh, let y'all know um, some verse references to back up what I had said. And you know that I've been going through Proverbs. I'm going through the second month of reading Proverbs, like today was uh, Proverbs 24, all of chapter 24, Proverbs. 
But as I'm reading, I'm starting to make some notes of some things that are popping up. And over the last couple years, we've seen some things happen in our country where our history has been in the process of being erased. There are certain groups in America that don't want us to remember our history. And I ran across two verses in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 22:28 says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And then in 23:10, Proverbs 23:10, it says it again. Uh, instead of ancient landmark, it said old landmark. Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. So that's a proverb that we uh, should take note uh, in this country that our founding fathers have set up a lot of landmarks so that we would remember long after those people have gone, we need to remember them. Don't forget. <clears throat> All right, James chapter 2. There's a whole bunch more I've been writing down out of, uh, out of Proverbs as you go through, because certain things will be repeated again, and then maybe again, there's a lot in Proverbs that we need to have in our minds and in our hearts. James 2, verse 1. This is an awkward verse. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory with respect of persons. Sounds a little weird. <clears throat> so basically, the point of it is, do not discriminate. Uh, that respect of persons is something that we need to pay attention to. And when it comes to our church setting, we need to be very cautious in this. Or, or because if there come into your assembly man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect of him that weareth the gay clothing or the good, good clothes, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial? in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts. So we, we, we need to be very careful about that. You know, I've, I've seen, uh, since I got my new phone and my son showed me how to set up uh, YouTube, and I'm watching some videos, there's some videos that you can see where uh, you, you take some poor guy sitting on the side of the road or on the sidewalk and he's trying to collect some money, you know. And this young person, young, young man, who evidently has a lot of money, he pretends like he's in need and he goes up to some of these people and he said, I just need a quarter. That's all I need, I, just to get enough to get a bus ticket. And, that, you know, the old poor person sitting there trying to get money from people and they end up going, oh, yeah, 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 and give them money out of what they're collecting. And then he ends up giving them like 500 bucks. And they're just blown away. Like, what? So he's out searching for people who have a good heart, and then he blesses them. 
Dude, this one person, he, there was one guy who lived out of his car, and the car got towed away. And he, he went over there and was uh, asking him for some money, and he was like, man, I wish I could help you. You know, my car just got taken away, and that's where I lived. And, uh, but he ended up giving him money anyway, and then the guy, he, he bought him a brand new car <laughs> and took it to him, and he was like, what? <clears throat> So we need to be very careful. And um, there was a preacher that went to preach at a big, fancy church. And he uh, dressed up like a homeless person and sat out beside the church where people coming to the parking lot would get out of their cars and be walking to the church. And he just sat up against the wall, and everybody, everybody walked past him. No one went to him. And then when it was time for the guest minister to come in, he walked in in all those ragged clothes and walked up to the pulpit and started preaching to everybody. <clears throat> and you can guess what the message was about. <clears throat> out of uh, John Phillips' uh, commentary, uh, my brethren, this, what, what, he, what, what uh, James says right here, that, that first verse is, is, is a little awkward. But he said that um, it, the, what you really need to get out of it is respect of persons. In other words, faith in the Lord Jesus is incompatible with partiality and discrimination. We cannot combine snobbery with faith in Christ. The two do not mix. Um, in, in Romans uh, 2, Paul talks about the respect of persons. There is no respect of persons with God. That's Romans 2.11. God is neither partial nor prejudiced in his dealings with the hum human race. The color of a person's skin, the size of his bank account, the number of degrees that he has after his name, or the place he holds in the Social hierarchy leaves God completely unimpressed. The Lord Jesus was as polite to the woman at the well as he was with Nicodemus. You know the difference between those two. He was as gracious to the woman who touched the hem of his garment as he was to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He was as open to poor, blind Bartimaeus as he was to the rich young ruler. He had no respect of persons. He was as honest and forthright with the Syrophoenician woman as he was with Pilate. He treated everyone with the same love, the same interest, and the same care and concern. He was not condescending when he was dealing with the publicans and sinners, and he was not compromising when, he, when dealing with those who occupied the seat of power. He gave the outcasts and the untouchables the same gentle, loving compassion that he extended to the scribes and the Pharisees. Sometimes the Lord did not approve of people's behavior, but he looked beyond that to the individuals and their deepest needs and treated them with dignity no matter what. Verse 5. Back to, verse, back to uh, James 2, verse 5. Hearken 
My beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? So the rich in faith. They might be poor people, but they were rich in faith. We got all kinds of examples of that. All kinds of examples throughout the scriptures. All of the apostles were poor men. So were many of the prophets. James himself was a poor man. The book of Judges, all kinds of nobodies whom God chose to use. A person might be poor financially or socially, but rich in faith. A person who is rich in faith holds in his hand the key to the vaults of heaven. The unlimited resources of the Godhead are at his disposal to accomplish the plans and purposes of God. A person might be poor in this world and yet be no less an heir to the kingdom of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Moses was a poor man. And it's because he gave up all the riches and pleasures of Egypt to suffer with the, his, his people, the Hebrew people. All right, we'll talk about Gideon. <laughs> Not the one who walked around walls of Jericho, but the other G- Gideon. <laughs> uh, think about Gideon, and he, he, he about was killed by his people because he tore down all of the Baal worship stuff, the grove and the altar, and he tore it all down. He didn't do it in the daylight because he was too scared to do it, but he rounded up 10 of, 10 of his friends and they went out at night and tore all that stuff down. What was sad is it belonged to his father. And they came and did some investigating, the people of the city, and they figured out it was Gideon and they wanted Gideon to be delivered so they could execute him. And, of course, the father said, well, can't Baal uh, stand up for himself? If he's a true God, why can't he take care of Gideon? He'll, if, he, if he's a real God, then he'll wipe him out. So he saved his life. And then, I mean, think about it. Gideon was too scared to do it in the broad daylight. He called on certain of the tribes of Israel to come. He left out the, the uh, people of Ephraim. They got mad at him later, but he had a good comeback to them. So he, he calls on, I think it was three different tribes, and he ended up with about 32,000 people. And God said, so here's another one of those, uh, you know, and I could have used it this past Sunday. It's the same thing. You know, God's plan, we would, he, he gives us the way to do things that we would never be able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. That's what, kind of what I was thinking. Because he had 32,000, which was nowhere near enough because the Midianites and the Amalekites, they, they were so many that you couldn't see where they ended. When you went over and looked down where they were camped, they were forever. And he only had 32,000. And God said, uh, that's too many. And Gideon 
was probably like, uh, okay, really? Too many? He's probably thinking we need to gather up some more. Why don't I call some more tribes of Israel? But God said, no, nah, this is too many. Because if you get victory with this many, you'll think it's because of what you did. So he said, go out and, and just uh, ask if anybody's scared. And if they're scared and don't want to fight, tell them to leave. Go on home. And it was 22,000 got up and left. So now he's down to 10,000. And God said, this is still too many. Did Gideon say, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. This is just too many. No, he's probably getting a little more nervous. This is still too many, 10,000? So then he had them go down to drink water out of, the, out of the river, brook, whatever was there. And out of the 10,000, they went down and watched how they drank water. And the ones who kneeled down and, and dipped with their hands and, and drank where they could still look around, you can keep those. But all the ones that got down and didn't pay attention and got their, you know, all the way down, they, they are disqualified. 300 left. That's all they had. 300. So Gideon was a man of faith, but he didn't stand out to anybody. He was like, why would you pick me? My tribe is pitiful, and I'm, I'm like in the least of it, and it, I just don't, why would you even pick me? And God picks the things that will give him glory. So we have to remember that. Think about Moses and how he gave up everything. He ended up being a runaway, but he never forgot who he, was, who he was in the eyes of God. He came back to Egypt to deliver his people and ended up being a mighty man. Uh, when Jacob ran off, Jacob ran off and went to find a wife. Basically, he was running away so that Esau wouldn't kill him. And he ran off. He, had, he didn't have anything. So he was kind of poor when he went to where he was going. Didn't really have anything to offer. Ended up working seven years to get a wife. But then God just blessed him like crazy. Uh, think about Joseph going down into Egypt many, many years before. Um, you know, well, it would be many years after Jacob, but many years before Moses took them out of Egypt. But Joseph, he was the favored, but he had nothing when he went into Egypt. And God blessed him. The poor of this world, but they were rich in faith. So we got even, even people that God has used in more modern times. All kinds of examples of people who were poor, on the world standard, but they were very rich in faith. Now let's get into verse 8. This is a good one. If ye fulfill the royal law, what is that royal law? According to the scripture, it gives you the definition right here. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced or, or convicted of the law as, of the law as, a, as transgressors. 
So this royal law, let's talk about that for a little while. This is, this is John Phillips' commentary. This is a direct quotation from the law of Moses. Now the law of Moses was very long. We, we think about the Ten Commandments, but it was way more than that. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. You know where that's at? It's in Leviticus. Yeah. Way back there in Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18. Doubtless, James had often heard the various commandments of the law discussed at home and had heard much of the Lord's teaching on the question of, of the law. It is not necessary for us simply to imagine that the Lord's teachings and parables were spontaneously thought up and delivered on, a, on the spur of the moment. He had spent his whole life pondering the Word of God and formulating his doctrine and beliefs. In his public teaching, he drew on a vast storehouse of knowledge that he had not discussed his thoughts and conclusions at home and at work around the supper table and at the carpenter's bench would be most unlikely. <clears throat> you know, James grew up with him. James grew up with Jesus, knew him well. So the famous parable of the Good Samaritan, think about that. So there was a lawyer had come along and challenged him. The lawyer, the lawyer had put Christ to the test asking him what he should do to inherit eternal life. The Lord threw the ball back to him. What is written in the law, he asked. The lawyer knew his Bible and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, he said, giving the commandment, which is in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Now, that summarizes man, man's duty to God. He added, and thy neighbor as thyself, giving the commandment that summarizes our duty to each other. The Lord bluntly replied, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. That's in Luke 10, verses 25 through 28. <clears throat> then the lawyer said, Who is my neighbor? And that's where the Good Samaritan uh, parable came in. The Lord replied with a parable that showed the utter hypocrisy, hypocrisy of both priest and Levite. The lawyer who was challenging Jesus was a Levite. When confronted with a man in desperate need, then, came, then along came a Samaritan who might have been motivated, understandably, by both racial and religious prejudices to pass by the unfortunate man. So anybody would have understood why a Samaritan would not have wanted to help. If you know your Bibles, the Samaritans were people that were not liked because of what had happened many years before. And they were they 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 intermarried with uh, pagan people, and it was they were just when when Jesus wanted to go through there, 
the disciples are like, why would you want to do that? But he had a divine appointment with the woman at the well, so that's why he wanted to go there. So a Samaritan, you would never expect. That's why when somebody does something heroic and they go and put their lives in danger to help somebody they don't even know, we automatically say, good Samaritan. That was a good Samaritan. Well, it comes from the Bible. And we're a nation that was uh, you know, brought forth with a whole bunch of Bible-believing people, so that makes sense that we would say that. So after, after t- telling that Good Samaritan story, he uh, pretty much got the point across that the very people who should have known what to do didn't do it. The lawyers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all the people who were the uppity-ups in the religious organization, they were failing miserably. But yet the poor... The ones who were rich in faith, they were the ones that were actually doing what was right. They were the ones that were following Jesus. Think, uh, think about, he's got a story down here at the bottom of this page, uh, but just think about you're driving home, you see black smoke up in the air, you see fire trucks racing, and you're pulling into your neighborhood, and it's close to where you live, and you're rushing to get there, and then you run up, would you be the person that saw your house burning and go, oh, thank the Lord, it's my house. Oh, it would have been terrible if it was my neighbor. (laughs) He uses that example here. That would be to really be loving your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Now, we just saw law of liberty over in the uh, first chapter. We talked about that law of liberty a little, a little bit, probably a couple Wednesdays ago. Very important that we are set free by Jesus and what he did so that we can serve him. And when we are in Christ, then we are at rest. You know, our, uh, no heavy burden. We know that everything, all of our success is through Him and all that we do. So did you pick up on what, he saw, what he's talking about there, about this law? We've got a bunch of examples in the Bible about people who thought they were doing a pretty good job at keeping the law. But yet, there's always something. Everybody's got a weak link. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. I shared the illustration. I had a remember the chain I had up here a while back. I had a I had a a nice chain, strong chain, and I was holding it up, 
and you know it would support thousands of pounds. So I asked Joseph if uh, I could hook him and carry him, you know, with the helicopter, carry him, let him dangle from this chain. And I had my hand over the middle of it, not showing him the one link. And, uh, and, 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 and just go over this uh, fire burning under, in the, down in the bottom, and we're going to take him over this big abyss with this fire burning. And if you get to the other side, you get a million dollars. Of course, he's smart enough to know, nah, nah, you're up to something. There's no way I'm doing this. But most people, you know, would, might say, you know what, that's a pretty strong chain, and that's worth the risk to get a million dollars. And then I'm like, all right, ready, let's go do it. And then I move my hand, and there's a piece of little wire holding the two pieces, two long pieces of chain together. And then that person will, whoa, 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 wait, no, no, that, that link right there doesn't look good. And it's like, what are you talking about? Why, why, would you, why are you pointing that one out? All the other ones are perfect and strong. So you might have 100 links. 99 of them, there's nothing wrong with them. Why are you pointing out the one weak one? So we might brag about how much of the law we keep and how good we are. So far, I haven't killed anybody. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing good. And just start listing all the things you, you thou shalt not, thou shalt, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, Paul, Paul was very proud of how well he kept all of the law, all of the, all the commandments. Until he got to down to number 10, thou shalt not covet, then he was just crushed. Because if you have some type of, a, of an ungodly or evil desire, you want something that's not yours. We were talking about uh, King David. Wanting Bathsheba, that was, that was covetousness. That was somebody else's wife. He had wives. He, didn't, he should not have been coveting her, but he did. That was an evil desire. And, and that's what he, that was a weak link for David. We have Solomon. He had a very weak link with women. He married women that he was warned not to marry. But he married a whole bunch of them. And it caused him to end up setting up uh, places of worship, pagan worship, for his wives to accommodate them. He, he married from all different places and they came and brought their religions with them and then he ended up setting up high places and helping them in their pagan worship and it took him down. He, he had so much going for him and by the time you get to his death, he has dwindled down to nothing. All that wisdom. So you could be, you can have the most wisdom in the whole world and still fail. Moses pretty good guy, but he had a temper problem. You know, he killed the uh, taskmaster. Taskmaster. He killed him. He had a temper. And what kept him out of the promised land? He angrily hit the rock. I mean, he, you can go back and look at that story and say, well, he had a right to be mad. But God had told him, speak to the rock. But out of anger, he went up and he hit it. And it kept him out of the promised land. So anger might be your weak link. Pilate had a love of power. Judas had a fatal weakness, the love of money. Ananias and Sapphira, they had a weakness of wanting to look good amongst the other people. And 
even James, he's got a weakness on the law, but he's recognizing it. He, he don't want to let go of all that Jewish stuff. Just, I mean, you read James. If all you had was James, you'd have a really tough time being a Christian. Really tough. But it's a little reminder that if you think you can just be a hearer of the word and then do nothing, you're mistaken. So speak ye, verse 12, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment with, without mercy and hath showed no mercy and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So, so this, this is going to tell you what I just talked about. What doeth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doeth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You know how many people have said that to me? You, know, you witness to somebody, you talk to somebody about coming to church, and, you know, do you know Jesus? They're like, oh, I believe in God. And this verse always comes to my, my mind. Every time somebody says that to me, oh, I believe in God, I, I say, so do the devils. And they tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Don't you know that? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now, when you see the word justified in the Bible... That doesn't mean being saved. That means they're saved, and this is the justification for it. This is the explanation for it. It's like, uh, why are you letting him in? Well, he paid the ticket price. Why, you know, like if somebody's going into an event. What, what, why is he going in? Why are you letting him in? How can you justify letting him in? Well, here's the $10 that he paid for the ticket. Oh, oh, okay, he's justified. Well, we can't pay for our salvation. We can't pay for it. You're, you're saved, but that person isn't, and they go, well, well they're a pretty rotten person. What, what, how can you justify them going to heaven and not me? Jesus paid their way. Oh, okay. Jesus did the actual saving, but when it says that he was justified, that expl is explaining why. Just like the word sanctification. We use it in church as that process of becoming more holy, when really what it means is you've been set apart. And you're not sinning anymore, not because you're able, but because Jesus said the old man is crucified, 
and oh, if, if he crucified, then, he, then why would he do any sin? So when we walk through this life in a body of flesh that could easily sin any time, we don't because we're sanctified. Jesus has set us apart to walk with him and walk by the Spirit. And then one day we'll be glorified. But So we use those terms, justified, sanctified, and glorified. And we, and we use justified as, that, as, as being saved. But that's not necessarily what it means, but it goes along with it. So Abraham was justified by works when he, he had offered up his son upon the altar. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect, or that's what made it complete. So you can talk all you want about how much you believe and all that, but until you're doing something to go along with it, then it's not justified. You understand what I'm saying? When the Passover lamb had to be slain when all the people were in Egypt, and the firstborn male of every family, whether it was an animal or a person, Egyptian or Jewish, it didn't matter what family you were, the firstborn son was going to be killed that night unless the lamb had been slain, the blood had been collected, and they painted the doorpost and the lintel with the blood. And when the death angel saw the blood, he would pass over. It didn't matter how big your faith was in that or how little your faith was in that. The question is, was the blood applied? Did you do it? You could sit over here and talk about how much you believe that was true and how Moses would not, would not uh, steer us wrong and if that's what God said we need to do, that's what we got to do. And the oldest son sitting there going, just go ahead and get it done, Dad. Oh, no, 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 I'm not done preaching. Oh, it, it, yes, we got we to gotta do what Moses said, and I believe it with all my heart, and everybody falls asleep during the boring sermon, and the blood didn't get applied, the boy's dead. He's going to die that night. Didn't matter how much you talked it up, how much you said you believed it, but the house next door, Guy sitting over there, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Kill this little lamb, paint the blood on the doorpost, that's just ridiculous. Um, Dad, um, all right, we'll do it anyway, but that's, this is just ridiculous. And he goes over and he paints it. That little teeny tiny bit of faith, hey, the, door, the blood was on the doorpost. The boy lived. And the scripture, 23, and the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham, this is one of the most important things to see in the word of God. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Now that is an accounting term, imputed. Like you could be, in, in the register, you could be with nothing. You have nothing. 
Then someone says, go buy what you need to buy. I've taken care of it. Money's there. And if you trust what they said, then you will go and you will buy what you need. And you write the check out and go, yep, everything's good. Went right on through. Our, the only righteousness that we have that's worth anything is what is imputed to us. It's only because we believe in the promise. We believe it. And when we believe God, then that righteousness is put to our account. Imputed to us. Not imparted, but imputed to us. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And Father, we thank you for uh, the time that we have to come together and to study your word. And Father, I pray that we would be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Father, that we would prove out our belief in you by the things that we do. And Father, just help us. Help us to have faith. Give us, give us faith. And Father, we thank you for the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been imputed to us because we believe. Father, there are many who need to hear your word. Father, I pray that they would, would hear it. Father, I pray that they would listen to somehow, some way. Father, I, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will touch hearts that people will be drawn to, to this place where they can come and hear the word being preached and meet people who love your word and live your word. And Father, I pray that there are those who may listen to the podcast or listen to the CDs, that they will be touched and they will spread the word to others that uh, you know, we are here wanting to be your servants. Father, I pray for other churches that are in this area, that need help, that need people to come and assemble. Father, I, my heart hurts when I see so many people just living their lives and don't care at all about what's going to happen after they die. And Father, we're just asking that the Holy Spirit would touch those hearts and that we would be able to through the Holy Spirit guiding us, that we would be able to spread some seed into those people. Spread the seed of your word. And Father, I pray that people will believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.